Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Man, if this song doesn't make you dance, then you can't hear. Um, I love Van Halen. Dance the night away. Um, thanks for being here this morning. Happy Wednesday. I want to talk about the border, and now it's a whole different conversation after what we've seen happen. I, I want to. I'm gonna. What I want to do though is set it up by letting you hear some people speak. I played a little bit of this earlier. I'm going to start at the beginning again. Karine Jean Pierre, during a press conference, was asked by Peter Ducey from Fox News about does is the president concerned? Why does the president not seem concerned that the cartels are operating at so close to the U.S. border? And I want you to hear how she answers this question. Well, let's be very clear. Let me take on the drug part here, because since you brought this up, um, because of the work that this president has done, because of what we've done specifically on fentanyl at the border, it's at historic lows, historic levels uh, that we have been able to uh, record a number of personnel working to secure the border because of what we've been able to do. Seizing that fentanyl, uh, we've done it in a historic way. That's because of what this president has done. I just talked about 23,000 federal agents that have been able to be, uh, uh, that we've been able to hire and put at the border to secure the border. On top of that, historic sanctions going after traffickers and other financiers are helping disrupt fentanyl supply chains throughout their flow to the U.S. So I, I just think that most Americans disagree with this. I don't think the people believe that fentanyl is at an all-time low, and I don't think that they've done anything to secure the border. But I want you to hear the second part of this answer, the, or her going on again. This is her completing the thoughts about the, the president's great work on the border. We're really expanded access to treatments like uh, that are saving lives, if you think about it, which prevent overdoses expanding as uh, as our fentanyl test trips. Uh, and through the removal of the X waiver, anyone registered to pres- prescribe controlled medications can now uh, prescribe life-saving medication to treat addiction. So again, we are seizing fentanyl at record historic levels because of what the because of the of what the president has done to secure our border. Uh, and look, we've also coordinated. Uh, made sure that we're coordinated our our our, um, uh, our relationship with, Mex- with Mexico uh, to deal with um, what we're seeing as it relates to violence, as it relates to cartel. Uh, that is something a relationship that we've continued to build with Mexico, an incredibly important partner. Uh, you saw that when he went down for the summit in Mexico City. So the president is 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 dedicated to this and is doing the work that we're actually seeing at the border. Again, when you th- we think about fentanyl. The issue for me, again, I've talked about the – well, I think I told you it was Juan Siscomani, the congressman, who called it three buckets. I call it three legs of a stool. And when it comes to the border issue, there's border security, there's immigration, and there's commerce and trade. They all are intertwined. They all work together, but they're separate issues. This is a border security issue that, if not fixed, is a commerce and trade issue. It's an immigration issue. But first and foremost, it's a border security issue. The border is not secure. It isn't. But let's go to another area of this. I want to. I'm uh, obviously two Americans being murdered in broad daylight and in such a brazen way as we saw in that video shows you. It, and it's not that it would make it any better, especially for the loss of life for the people that knew and loved these Americans. But when you see how brazen this attack is. You realize this is not something foreign to them. This wasn't something that got out of hand and somebody fired a bunch of shots and ran off into the night. These are brazen attackers. 
it, it is just it, it, it's hard to watch the video and not look at this and think this is an everyday occurrence for these guys. This is something they've planned on. Whether it was this particular group, I don't, I don't, I think they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. But the group of people that committed this act were out of control. But in control of their emotions at the same time. They are just behaving in a way that we can't even imagine. And I don't want to lose sight of that. But let's talk about the other parts of this. The commerce and trade part. There is now more warnings about spring break. If you're a parent and you've got a kid in college, what are you saying to them if they go to one of the Arizona schools and their plan is to go to Mexico for spring break? What do you think? I mean, you're out of your mind. You can't be possibly in favor of it. If you're a business owner, if you're someone that owns property, rental property down in Rocky Point, if you own a business at Rocky Point, it could still be, and I don't know because I don't go down to Rocky Point, it could still be one of the safest places on the planet to go. What's it going to do to your business down there? What's it going to do to your rental property value down there when you've got things like this happening and you've got the federal government saying there are parts of Mexico you shouldn't go to at all? Now let's go to the immigration part of this. We know the border is not secure. We know we have a couple of million people that have come into this country. And I've been saying to you that one of the most glaring faults and flaws in our immigration system that points out how unfair and how bad it's it's messed up are the dreamers. Here's a headline. Department of Justice heads back to court for case over DACA's future. The Department of Justice back in court this month. The Obama-era program was given temporary protection and a worker permit to 800,000 undocumented immigrants brought in the U.S. as kids since enacted in 2012. 2012. It's been in legal limbo for years. The Trump administration tried to cancel the program in 2017, and the Supreme Court saved it in 2020. Now, I will tell you. People on both sides of the aisle sometimes have to eat crow and say, we didn't do the right thing then. And this is one time people on the left should look at this and say, the Trump administration wasn't wrong on this. They wanted to fix things in a bigger picture. And the Democrats are the ones that fought this, and the dreamers are still in limbo. They should have caved on this one. That's my opinion. The Dreamers should have gotten protection through legislation because that's what President Trump was asking for. It would have covered more people than the original uh, Dream Act, and it would have made some changes that were necessary. Now, just like if you go back, George W. Bush will tell you that one of his biggest regrets when he was in office was that he didn't get comprehensive immigration reform pushed through. There was a time there where that phrase, comprehensive immigration reform, was a uh, it was a it was it was dead on arrival in Republican circles. They wanted nothing to do with reforming immigration laws, even though there were a lot of border security measures that were put in place. If that would have passed, we look back now on that time period. I'm telling you, as a conservative myself, and say that would have been a great. We would accept that now in a heartbeat. But if you look at the three legs of this stool and what these murders. 
and this these kidnappings have shown the American people and the world is that cartels are operating in a in a disastrous way just on the other side of the border, brazen in broad daylight. They don't care who sees them. They don't care who's watching because they are the de facto government in border towns where they are within a stone's throw, literally a stone's throw of American forces. We have to take that into consideration because it's our national security. All of the other things play into it, but it all begins and ends with border security. Coming up in a moment, we are going to talk about, I'm going to wade into January 6th. We're going to talk about Tucker Carlson. We'll talk about the videos and my conversation last night on CNN. It's all coming up in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, this is going to be rough. I appreciate you being here. I want to talk about this as fairly as I can, and uh, I want to I want to talk about it in parts. I'm talking about Tucker Carlson and the January 6th video that's been out there. Um, there's a lot here to digest, and I'll tell you why. Um, Looking at the text messages in this Dominion lawsuit and when you look at what the Fox hosts have to say in these private messages, if you're a diehard Trump supporter, do you trust anything you see from anybody now after hearing or seeing what they've said? This is a great question. Um, Are you being told what you want to hear by people that just want your approval and your viewing if they don't necessarily believe it? And I don't know the answer to this question. I'm asking you. I'm asking honest questions. And I want to be very honest with you. I don't know Tucker Carlson. Never met him. I do know Sean Hannity. I don't know him very well. I wouldn't say we're friends, but he was very good to me at the very beginning of my career. Sean has been instrumental in a lot of ways. He gave me good advice. We've had many conversations when we see each other. When he was in Phoenix, we would you know see each other in the studio. Um, I was on stage uh, at one of his uh, Freedom concerts one year. So I, I know him better. But when you read these private messages as part of this lawsuit, um, I'm going to read just a couple of things that Tucker Carlson said in text messages. We are very, very close to being able to ignore Trump most nights. I truly can't wait. I hate him passionately. I can't handle much more of this. Um, Later on, he was talking about – Uh, President Trump and another text exchange. We are pretending we've got a lot to show for it because admitting what a disaster it's been is too tough to to digest. Um, He was referring to the last four years. But come on, there isn't really an upside to Trump. So if that's the way he feels, if that's what he's saying to people behind the scenes, I will tell you – I'm not all what my views are not always popular with my party when it comes to um, stolen elections, when it comes to the audit. I I go against my party in a way, but I've never been disrespectful to the people. They know exactly where I stand. And I can tell you this. Any conversation I've had off the air, it mirrors what I've said on the air. I can't in good conscience say that I agree with something because I'm afraid somebody that listens to my show is going to get mad at me or change the station. I have to hope that I can say it in a way where I can disagree with you without alienating you. And that's my job. My job is to keep you around, but I can't do it by telling you what you want to hear versus what I believe. Now, as far as January 6th goes, there are explanations out there for what 
the videos are being shown by Tucker Carlson. And I don't know any more about them than I do about the other things we've seen. But I will tell you who I am in my heart and who I think most of you are in your heart, hearts. And it is that we are law and order and we are pro-police. And regardless of what you see in the videos and which ones you believe and which ones you don't, there were about 140 police officers that were injured that day. That should never have happened by anybody in our party. Should have never have happened. And if you believe that only the people that were doing violent things were plants or people that came in there to infiltrate, to pretend they were with you, you've got to be believe a pretty big conspiracy. And I, all I can tell you is this. I would have never been – I would have never gone into the Capitol. If I was invited in with that group, I wouldn't have gone in. What happened on January 6th broke my heart. Um, when I'm still someone, I go to D.C. once every couple of years, and I love going when I get when I have the opportunity. I've told this story so many times, and I do it every time intentionally when I go to D.C. I get on the metro, and I take the train to the Capitol Mall station, and you go up this very long escalator. And when you get to the street level and you turn left, you're looking at the Capitol Mall. The rotunda is on your right. The Washington Monument, the reflecting pool, Lincoln Memorial off to the distance on your left. You're looking at the White House off in the distance. You can see some of the Smithsonian museums. And it makes me cry. It makes me tear up every time I go. When I walk into the Capitol building, I am as quiet as a church mouse. I whisper when I talk. It's like being inside a church to me. It is It is the center of everything I believe politically. It is the center of our great country. And anybody that believes they should go inside, even if they weren't there to overturn the government and overthrow the government, anybody that went into that building that day and destroyed the building itself, committed a vandalism or just was an idiot inside that building, what you are doing is you are taking your frustration out on some of the people in that building, on the history of that building. This is my personal feelings. So I'm not going to defend you. Does that mean that I believe people should spend decades in prison and insurrectionist and all this other stuff? That's a different conversation. But I can't in good conscience go on the air and see these videos and say this proves that those people did nothing wrong. What this proves to me is this. I can't in good conscience make excuses for people. Here I went for such a long time. I went after the, the, the violence at BLM protests, that the people that may have been infiltrators, the people that took over those protests and turned them violent, destroying people's property, destroying businesses, looting businesses, burning buildings, flipping cars, um, the Antifa and what they did in, in Scottsdale at Fashion Square, the threats they made about around other parts of town. I can't condone them. But I can't condone what happened on January 6th either. I would agree with you. The vast majority of those protesters stayed outside of the Capitol. It was a mostly peaceful protest in the sense that the vast majority of people that showed up that day to protest didn't go into the Capitol building. But we can't lose sight that over 100 police officers were injured that day. And I'm not going to excuse it. And... um whether or not this other stuff happened and how it happened, I will ask. I'm going to finish where I started. Tucker Carlson and other Fox News hosts behind the scenes apparently are sending text messages that they felt like I did about the stolen election. Why would you trust them? 
because they're telling you what you want to hear still? Or are they just trying to buy your buy your um, buy your loyalty by doing this? It's tough. It's hard for me. I want to talk about crime coming up. Uh, I did this earlier. I let you hear from the D.C. police chief as frustrated as he is about the crime in his city. And we'll talk about crime and punishment next. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Thanks for being here. Uh, we played earlier. I want you to hear. It's only about a 30-second piece of audio. It's the police chief in Washington, D.C. There's been a lot of conversation about the D.C. crime bill, where the prosecutors and the city council in D.C. were going to change some laws. And a councilwoman defended this recently that would lower the punishments for a lot of crimes, including violent crimes like carjacking. Um, uh, Jake Tapper was asking this councilwoman about the defense of this, and her entire answer had everything to do with perpetrators and nothing to do with victims. And that was one of the things that Jake Tapper asked about was, don't the people of D.C. have a right to feel safe? That, you know, if you commit a crime that's a violent, inherently violent crime, like carjacking, people deserve to feel safe. Well, the police chief in Washington, D.C. was addressing the fact that homicide rates have gone up. And I want you to hear this again, not so much for what his solution is, but the statistic at the end of the comment where he talks about how many times the average homicide suspect is arrested before, before they commit a homicide. This is interesting. What we got to do, if we really want to see homicides go down, is keep bad guys with guns in jail. Because when they're in jail, they can't be in community shooting people. So when people talk about what we're going to do different or what we should do different, what we need to do different, that's the thing that we need to do different. We need to keep violent people in jail. Right now, the average homicide suspect, the average homicide suspect has been arrested 11 times prior to them committing a homicide. That is a problem. That is a problem. So if you're the victim of a crime, then you find out that the person that has committed the crime against you has committed multiple crimes before and yet they're on the street. Don't you feel further violated and frustrated? The answer is yes. I think our criminal justice system and the citizens of this country, and I'm not saying we get rid of people. and I'm not saying we throw people away forever. But we have to focus on the victims. I would say the perpetrators have to be focused on the victims. Someone should be directing focus on the people that they've hurt. Yes, you've gone to jail or yes, you've done this and this is happening to you in your life. But there are people that sleep with the lights on. There are people now that are terrified to leave their homes. There are people that have been traumatized for the rest of their life because of your actions. They don't know what your childhood was like. They don't know what your family life was like. They don't know what was going on inside of you. All they know is a stranger attacked them. And that's what they know, and that's the fear they feel. And if you want to have somebody have any chance, in my opinion, have any chance at rehabilitation, they have to come face-to-face with whatever good is inside of them and realize that in the eyes of at least that one human being, that they're a bad person. So, and another level of this, here's an example of it. The execution of a Texas death row inmate who cut out his own eyes delayed after concerns about his mental state. Now, whether or not this guy is mentally capable of understanding and should be put to death, I want you to hear what's happened. His name is Andre Thomas. He was set to be executed on April 5th for the March 2004 stabbing death of his estranged wife and their four-year-old son. 
and 13-month-old daughter um, in the small town of Sherman, Texas. This guy murdered his wife and his two children almost 20 years ago. 20 years ago, and he's still on death row in Texas, where they've put in an express lane when it comes to death penalty. This is the kind of stuff that's frustrating. We focus on the perpetrators. I'm not talking about ignoring them. I'll be honest with you. I've gone into the prisons visiting with ministry trips and go. I mean, so it's not as if I I promise you, I am not calloused or hard hearted. I don't think anybody should be tortured. I think there is redemption available to everyone. But the focus has to be on the people that the crimes have been committed against. In the best interest of the person you committed a crime against, you're going to prison and you're going to prison so that that person knows that a society doesn't condone what you've done and b society says your punishment will be that you sit in prison and you try to get your life together because you can't be in society when you commit crimes like that against people and when you're given that time in prison if you change your life i would embrace you when you came out and i would try to help you get back to a normal life but that's on you Law enforcement is frustrated when you have now here and I would say if there is an issue in Maricopa County where we, you know, most of the people that listen to this show are, if we have a problem in Maricopa County, it's a staffing issue. We don't have enough prosecutors. I don't think it's the attitude of the office. I think the office works well. And I've, I went, I was actually the facilitator of a conversation in leadership and it was the head of the area of the FBI, the uh, special agent in charge. It was, um, the police chief in the city of Phoenix and one of the other panelists was the Maricopa County attorney and they talked about the relationship that they all have between law enforcement and prosecutors and I believe it to be a strong one but if we are going to champion for a fully funded law enforcement agency and agencies throughout Maricopa County we should also be a champion so that the county attorney's office is fully staffed so when someone commits a crime big or small but violates somebody else's rights and that person does the right thing by calling the police and not taking the law into their own hands, they should be rewarded by knowing that that criminal will spend time paying for their crime. And I don't think that's too much for society to ask. Had a conversation earlier this morning with Tom Horn. He is the superintendent of public instruction in the state of Arizona. And so we talked with him about a couple of different things. One of them is the ESAs or the um, the empowerment scholarship accounts or education scholarship accounts, whatever you want to call them. And we also talked about a new hotline for people that believe the curriculum in schools are going down the wrong road. You're going to hear from both of those coming up here in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. I had a great conversation with the superintendent of public instruction in Arizona. His name is Tom Horn. It's the second time he's held this position. He's also been the attorney general here in Arizona. And uh, we found some things out we didn't know. It's actually been kind of a breaking news throughout the day. And I'm going to get to that in a few moments. And it has to do with a hotline for parents and curriculum. But I want to start with the ESAs. I'm a big fan of the 
voucher program. I think it's a great program. And as I said from the beginning, if there are things that need to be changed and tweaked, I'm in favor of that too. I want it to run as efficiently as possible. But anytime you give parents the control over dollars that go into the classroom, that they give them more control of what happens with their children in the classroom, the better off we are. Everything in this world is about power and control on some level. And when it comes to the education of children, the teachers are the teachers, but the parents should have control. That's just what I believe. When it comes to your child's health care, you're in control. You choose the doctor. You choose the course of action. You choose. You choose the best option in your mind. It's everything. If your child gets in legal trouble, you are in charge. Anyway, you know that you know the drill. So um, they came up with a hotline that parents or that people can call. And we'll get to that in a few moments. But this is also about a website and a phone number that you can um, with, with these ESAs because there are many people they found out that were wasting money, that were spending money in the wrong place. So uh, the, this is what the superintendent said, the brainchild of this, um, the idea of what they're doing to change the ESAs and the changes to ESA. Um, they discovered that money was being wasted. Here's what he had to say about those wasted dollars. The prior administration was unfriendly to the ESAs, as you know, and so they they let people abuse it. Uh, people got paid for stoves and restaurants, all kinds of things. Uh, and then that information somehow got to SOS, which is the anti-ESA uh, group that tried to try to put, get it on the ballot to repeal it, and then they would put it on the on their on their Twitter, saying, you know, look how your money's being wasted. And I don't blame them, to be honest with you. I don't agree with Save Our Schools and this issue. I'm, I'm completely the opposite. But if I were them, I'd say the same thing. Here's what we're talking about. This is why we don't like these programs. So Mr. Horn is trying to clean that up. So I asked him, what were some of the things? What were some of the things that they were spending money on that you believe were out of order? This is what he said. Stoves, I think they call them burners, uh, which I wasn't familiar with that term, but um, because they wanted to teach their kids cooking, so they bought a stove for the family. Um, uh, payments at restaurants, payments at uh, clothing stores. He talked about there being a few different ways for, for things to get paid for in education. One of them is the use of a debit card or a credit card. And he talked about those abuses, and this is what he said about that abuse. There are four ways to get paid in, in the ESA program, and one of them are debit cards, where they're not uh, where where they're not pre-approved payments. They they spend the money, and then and then they're supposed to send us receipts. And so, if they abuse it, it it's it's hard for us to control it. So so we're trying to limit uh, uh, debit cards. So here it is for everybody out there that is a believer in school choice in this program. I think it's a great idea. I think there are going to be growing pains, and this is one of them. You are going to have people that are going to try to circumvent the system. It's unfortunate, but I don't think it's the vast majority of people that use it. So they are going to try to rein in the wasteful spending. They're going to try to stop people from using it for things that it's not supposed to be used for. And I think that's a positive thing, and I hope they're able to get it under control. I, I, he Also, there is a new hotline. And a new website and a new link and email address if parents believe that there is curriculum that is counterproductive in schools and they want an investigation. If teachers are teaching things outside of the, the, the class that they're supposed to be teaching um, – so uh, we talked about why he started this hotline, and it just started yesterday, and asking him why it got started, here's his answer. 
it was a, a campaign promise that I made that if there, you know, just to give a little background, when we went through COVID, uh, a parents' revolt developed because teaching was online and the parents could see what was being taught and they were outraged and they started going to school board meetings. Um, and I promised we would we would fight against those abusive practices where the, which detract from academics. So that is the brain that that's kind of the brainchild of how this all came about. But um, I asked him about some of this. Can you stop this from happening? And what course of action can your office take? And I, maybe we'll play later on. We'll play some more cuts from this. I am someone that is a big believer that school choice is going to fix a lot of this for parents. But there, if the parent is upset about the curriculum in a particular school, this is what I think the Department of Education is for and the superintendent's office. I don't know what power they have to stop things. I don't know overall can they – and he said I can't outright stop some of these things. But there are punishments against teachers that are doing the wrong thing. I don't want to have teachers limited on how they teach. That's what makes a teacher great. But at the same time – I hear from teachers all the time, all the time saying, I want to teach history. I'm a history teacher. I'm a math teacher. I'm an English teacher. That's what I came here to teach. I didn't come here to teach all of this other stuff that they're putting on me to teach. That's the words I hear from the teachers. So this is one more mechanism. And if the investigations are done fairly, if none of this is really happening, we'll get to the bottom of it. If none of this is actually being taught in the public schools, social, emotional, learning or critical race theory, then the investigation should find that out and then it'll be exposed and we'll find out from there. We got to talk about our economy as the president wants to raise taxes, but he says it's only going to be on the wealthy. So it's a good thing. So we're going to let you hear about that and the possibility of raising interest rates next.